This is the Shift Podcast. It's time to celebrate all things 420. Cannabis policy expert Opie Sadu tells us how cannabis use in Canada has changed since legalization, the obstacles it's facing, and celebrates the achievements Canadians are making in the world of weed. Some very interesting stuff there. Paula Roshan with the University of Toronto and senior scientist at the Women's College Research Institute helps us understand just how impactful a daily walk can be for your mental and physical health. Plus, it's back game showy, and tonight the question Questions are all about the comic book world of superheroes. And uh, by the way, I won. This is the Shift Podcast. I have been so excited for this. I know that this is a part of the show, and sometimes I get to fill in, and every time I get to fill in, this has not been happening, and this is the first time that I've been filling in, and it's been happening, and I love it, and I hope you can hear it in my voice. It's game showy. I love it. I'm so excited. Okay. Uh, it's trivia, and I love trivia, and I love games, and I love competitive things. And so I'm really excited to get to do this, and I'm also excited about the the theme, because if you're unfamiliar, the Batman is now available on Crave. It was like six weeks from when it was in the theater to it being available on home streaming. That is insanely fast. And I'm excited about that because I have children. And so I could never get to the movie theater and watch a three hour movie. And I love Batman. And now I get to watch it like an hour a night for three nights and get to finally see this movie that everybody's been talking about. I'm so excited. I've watched the first little bit and now I have like two more bits uh, to get through, but let's do it. I'm so excited. Game showy Ryan O'Donnell. Thanks, Bob. Well, yes, welcome back to Game Show. We know it's been a while. We know you have asked. We have listened. It's time for more trivia. So I ask the questions. You, Scott Schantz, you, Brennan Kelly, and you, the listeners, That's answer. Me. Yes. Well, yeah, it is you. So with the Batman released right. on Crave, it, nice. Let's see if you can get more than that right. Uh, Batman is released Shane is off, which means I get full control here and I am going full nerdy because our trivia theme is all things superhero. I'm not just talking about like superhero movies. I'm talking old school comics, uh, the origins, the original stuff and some deep weird stuff too. Uh, there is trivia for everyone here, whether you've been reading comics since you were a kid growing up in the 50s and the 60s, or if you are a fan like me right now, this one is for you. So you get to pick a category and you have to answer the question. If you get the answer right, you hear this. Yay, celebration, yay. And if you get it wrong, you hear this. Oh, sad. Losers. I should probably add some Losers. sad sound effects. <laughs> Loser. Well, and some mocking okay, sound wow. effects. You're so stupid. Oh. Loser. Oh, this is gonna wow. get this is gonna get a little feisty. Whoa. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we we know you're ready for this. So, uh, Scott, this is your first chance at game showy. So, I think you can pick the category. Now, here are your three categories. The first is just general comics and superheroes. The next is okay. all okay. focused on Batman, Batman trivia. Okay. And the last is comics in other media, such as movies. Mostly 
comic book movie trivia. We'll just put it that okay. way. So okay. you can pick from one of those three, which once again is comics and other media, Batman and comic books and superheroes. You know, Shane's going to be okay. so mad he's not here because normally I beat him by like a million points. I don't know anything That's about true. any of this. So he would have actually <laughs> had a chance tonight. Oh, um, I get a feeling okay. you know quite a bit more than you did before the show because you had some time to research. So we'll have to wait and <laughs> okay. see there, Randon. So, so I get, Scott, to, I get to pick, right? Okay, uh, let's pick. do Batman trivia because Batman is out and I'm watching the Batman. Batman it is. Okay, so it is the 1920s. Who is credited with creating Batman? Is it Bill Finger? Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, or Bob Kane? Uh, Bob Kane. Bob Kane is, for your first question, your first chance at a point in game showy history, Bob Kane is the correct answer. Yes! Yes. Yeah, I didn't know One that. point for Scott. Really? Yes! Well, so this is. I don't know any It flashes on the screen before anything related to Batman. He gets the credit oh. because he is credited and he worked with bill finger on the character kane is generally regarded as the guy that created batman mostly uh he was but, only 22 years old when he created batman wow. which is amazing it's, it's it i mean it, he is the creator but it's not like he it's not like he shows up in every batman movie in the same way that stan lee shows up in every Mar or showed up in every yeah. marvel movie so there's yeah. a little bit different but yes yeah it's also the 19 his name gets flashed but, up there Yes, the, the, the name is Flash. Yes, uh, the the inspiration, by the way, was a Leonardo da Vinci sketch of a man trying to fly with a bat-like wing, a 1930s movie called The Bat Whisperer, and of course, the Zorro, Mask of Zorro, which is really cool. First appearance, huh. Detective Comics number 27, May 1939. Wow. All right. Okay, yeah. One point for Scott. Brendan Kelly, you have a chance to get some uh, get some redemption here. What do you got? Pick a category, uh, my friend. Well, I mean, let's see. Um, let's go with comics in other media. Okay, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit of help on this one because there's a music tie-in to this. Oh. Did you know that Michael Jackson tried to buy Marvel Comics? Yes, Michael Jackson, the singer, the king of pop, tried to buy Marvel Comics back in nineteen in the 90s. Here's the question. Why? Why did he do it? Your options are, he wanted to sell all of the characters to DC Comics. He wanted to play Spider-Man in a movie. They wouldn't let him write his own comics, including his own character. Or... Was it just another business venture? Oh, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Hmm. Well, I, I think that like all of those could be correct. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. That all that went through his mind. Uh, let's see. He. Okay. So let's think along the lines of Michael Jackson. It's a bit of an oddball. He uh, wanted to be Spider-Man. That is correct. Yes. Yeah, see, I knew Michael he was, Jackson. I knew that would be like what he would want to do. He would want to do something yeah. weird. Yes, Michael Jackson really wanted to play Spider-Man. They wouldn't let him, so he tried to buy the brand so that he could do it. It did not happen, um, thankfully. 
In fairness, so we are now... don't all of us want to be Spider-Man? Please Wouldn't oh, any yeah. of us oh, yeah. want to be him if we could be him? Oh, yeah. I, I can't uh, fault Michael yeah. for that. No, it, I no, don't you wear can't. clothing no. that tightly. I, like, I don't wear tight clothes like that. I couldn't do it. But if you were swinging through the air on webs, you would need to for aerodynamics. And you would lose some weight. Be a lot of work being Spider-Man. Yeah, I'll just Truth. I'll just stick to the radio operator in, in a black hoodie and <laughs> a blank screen. All right, we got a one-one tie here. Scott Schantz. Uh, just a reminder, my friends, the categories are Batman trivia, comic books and superhero trivia, and comics and other media. Glenn on the text line is uh, correct with the first guess. They're guessing Bob Kane with the Batman questions. So Texture's getting in on this. Love it. Scott Schantz, what, uh, what category are you picking here, my friend? Okay, let's do superhero trivia. Okay, comics and superhero, you got it. Here it is. What is the best-selling comic book of all time? Is I it? can tell you. I, I don't even okay. need to... Qu- I don't, can I just buzz in without the categories? No, I'm going to I'm going to name it just so okay. that the textures okay. get a chance. I'm not I, I okay. can't bend the game show rules for anyone. Ah, okay. They're my you rules. You know like in I Jeopardy when the person should, rings yeah. in before Alex is even done reading the question, yeah, right? Exactly, That's what right? I tried. You to should do. get a point okay. off for that for misbehaving. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's I wish I had a penalty box. Okay, so again, the question is the best-selling comic book of all time. So, is it Superman number 1? Is it Batman Under the Red Hood? Is it the 1990s reboot of X-Men, X-Men 1, or the reboot of Spider-Man in the early 2000s? Scott Schantz, the answer is... Spider-Man in the early 2000s. Oh, you did not know the answer. I'm so sorry. I, you know what? The, what, the, thing, that, the thing that I was going to say, the guess that I was going to say wasn't even on the list. What oh was my. your guess? I was going to guess the death of Superman. Because it went great. Okay, great option. Yes, it went to like fifth, fifth, like round of printing or something, and Mm -hmm. that is the comic book that got me into comic books. Yeah, Superman Doomsday is the one you're referring to. That is one of the most important comics ever, killing the unkillable. uh, Even though he technically doesn't die, it's an amazing book, regardless. But incredibly. The best-selling comic book of all time is X-Men Reboot, ah. 1991. Get this. It came out with a four-issue uh, variant cover, so there were four different covers for it. 8.2 million copies of one, like, 30-page issue of a comic book. Wow. Wow. Yes, that is the best. That was a surprise to me when I found out. Very big surprise. Okay. Brandon Kelly, you got a chance to take the lead here, my yeah, friend. What, I, uh, what category yeah. are you going for? for that, I would have guessed The Watchmen for that one. And do you want to know why? Because <laughs> it's the only one I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> well, Watchmen is an amazing book, regardless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Actually, no, I've read Neil Gaiman's The Sandman as well. Oh, yeah. I love Sandman. Those, those are Sandman's good, too. Amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Yep. Okay. Let's see if any of those can be any of these answers. I'll go with uh, comics in other media again. One more time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. I don't I don't have anything about uh, the graphic novels, oh. uh, but I do have this is a this might be an easy one or might be a tricky one. What was the first major big budget superhero movie? I'm not talking about the serials and short films, this goofy kind of black and white ones from the 30s. I'm talking the first proper superhero movie that went to the theaters. Is it Swamp Thing by Wes Craven? Superman 
by Richard Donner, the Toxic Avenger, or Flash Gordon. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I thought I knew the answer until you said that last one, but no, I'll mm-hmm. go with my first instinct. I'll go with Superman. Superman is correct. Yes. <laughs> Superman 1978. Flash Gordon was 1980 on the dot. Uh, huh. Superman 78, the most expensive film ever made at that point. Uh, it was a huge success critically and commercially, made 300 million bucks. And I think it holds up insanely well. It's a great movie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cool Scott. stuff. Scott, do you want to try to get another incorrect answer here? Uh, well, okay, you're having luck with co- comics and other media. I'm going to go comics and other media. Let's keep it going. You guys are going to I'm going to run out of questions in oh, comics and other media. Okay, well, I got another one. Should I do something else? Oh, I'm trying no, to I got force Brendan. I'm trying to force Brendan to take a different <laughs> Brendan, category. Okay, well, uh, I have more, so we're okay. okay, okay. So, here's your question, Scott. What is the highest grossing comic book movie of all time? Can, is do, it? Uh, I was going to jump the gun oh. there again. Okay. Can't is it Spider-Man? No way. Oh, no. <laughs> Scott's at zero and you're at 40, right? Uh, no, this one I know okay, for so, sure. This one I know for sure. Okay. For sure I already know. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to read it anyway, just in case. Because after okay. last time, okay. we have okay. Spider-Man No Way Home, Avengers Endgame, The Batman, or Avengers Infinity War. Avengers Endgame. Is correct. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yes. Well, I knew that yes. one. Yeah, well, it's a pretty it's a pretty good easy one. Yeah. Two point Spider Man No Way Home came close. But third. uh or, oh what's uh, second? Third, uh, second is uh the other Avengers movie is Infinity War. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I believe. And then, yeah, but regardless, $2.7 billion, almost 2.8, um, broke Big insane money. records, but it is not the highest grossing movie of all time anymore because avatar got re-released in China right. and then it got, it took the t- uh, time back. So, uh, yeah, there you go. We've got a tie gentlemen, two, two yes. loving it. And on the text line, yes. uh, the awesome Glenn, I remember going to see Superman in theaters. That would have been an unbelievable experience. Lyle, uh, getting X Men 1991 correct on that question, and Steve admitting that he uh, cheated and found the answer, which I appreciate greatly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Brendan Kelly, we got a tie here, my friend. What category are you picking? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, before I pick the category, I just want to give a shout out to a personal friend of mine who's texting me the answer is very late. Oh, <laughs> oh personally trying. texting me the answers very late. <laughs> Excellent. They're well, probably they're listening trying. online. There's a 10 second delay. There's yeah, all kinds of things. Should, but there thanks. should be a, there should be a yeah. timer. You shouldn't be able to just like sit there yeah. and hum and awe. Now we know there's yeah, a, a timer. Yeah, that's true. But you guys are pretty quick to answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm gonna go with uh, superhero trivia. Superhero trivia. You got it, my friend. All right, we're gonna sp- actually. It's it's superhero and comics, and this is a comic book question. Uh, this one's a little bit silly, but I, I couldn't help but put this one in. Archie Comics. I used to read Archie Comics. Uh, Jughead. What is Jughead's real name? I promise you it is one of these four. Is it Gordon Gentleman V, Max Bellamy II, Richie Lockhart III, or Forsyth Pendleton Jones III? I'll go with, it's hard to remember them. So I'll just go with that last one you said there. 
Well, um, that is correct. It is Forsyth uh, Pendleton Jones III in a very early comic of Archie. Uh, it was confirmed that that wow. was his real name. I'm doing so much better bizarre. than I thought I would. Yeah. You know what? I actually, oh. I actually knew that. I knew that. I just couldn't remember it. They're all like so wordy that I couldn't remember any of them. So I was just like, I'll go with the last one. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Well, Scott, uh, jumping in here, you got to tie it. And uh, let's see what you got here. We've got Batman trivia, uh, which hasn't been picked a while. And we also have also got some more comic ones. Okay. We'll do Batman trivia. Batman trivia it is. All right. I got some good ones here. Let's do a, uh, let's do a tougher one. Which supervillain broke Batman's back, leaving him paralyzed? And can I answer without him? having the options? I already know it. Okay, sure. Shane. Yes, almost a Shane. It sounded like something <laughs> Shane would do. Scott, uh-huh. <laughs> what, it, Bane. What is the Bane? It, the breaking of Bane. Batman. I have it. I have it. Batman Nightfall. Yes, Batman yeah. Nightfall is the comic, and Bane is the supervillain that did it. He and then do do. Tom, right. Tom Hardy did it in in mm-hmm. uh, the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Rises. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It all uh, happens in Batman Nightfall. Uh, Bane finds out Batman's secret identity and defeats him in the Batcave. And eventually Batman has to bring himself back from being in a wheelchair. It's one of the best Batman comic storylines. It's a great one. Very good. Uh, and Very good. Uh, a great uh, adaptation in the movie, too, somewhat. Uh, okay, well, we got a tie here. Uh, gentlemen um and i i think we're kind of we're running out of time here so i'm gonna propose a a a a bold thing here i'm going to ask one more question and the first person to answer it correctly wins okay so um you guys are gonna have to put your hands up on the zoom call okay Okay. Maybe we should just so, say our names or something. Or just say your name. Oh, yeah, right, because yeah. people can't radio. see because I can so see you. Okay. That's a great thing. question. Oh, yeah. great point. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, let me uh, let me find a good one here. Let me find a tough one. You guys had a lot of fun with these. Okay. All right. I hope it's about the Watchmen. <laughs> about the Watchmen? Oh, because you want to have right. Yeah. Because yeah. it's the only one he knows about. It's the only comic he's read. Or Neil okay. Gaiman's The Sandman. It's right. not really also a superhero that. thing. It's just a graphic novel. Yeah. Okay. Here's the question. In Spider-Man comics, oh, no. how does Spider-Man shoot his webs? Scott. Does he? Oh, Scott. <laughs> I didn't even get to hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to give it to Scott. Scott, what do okay. you got? What's the answer? He he does this. He like touches his his palm with his two center mm. fingers. That is incorrect. What? That's what? Can I hear? Because he didn't let me finish the question. (laughs) So I'm going to finish the question. Yes, we all know Spider Man, you know, does the rock and roll thing and shoots it from his wrist by pressing down. But in the comic books, does it come from shooters he has built or does it come out of his wrists? Scott! Scott. Go ahead. It's from it, it's it's from shooters that he built. He built he had to build them. Correct. Yes. Correct. Scott Shots, you are the victor. In the I, Sam I was going to guess that one. Yeah. yeah but In the Sam like Raimi movies, it comes out of his wrists. 
which is I always thought that was the way it was because I grew up. That was my first exposure to Spider-Man, the early 2000s. But he was the first person to ever think, hey, what if what if the web just like shot out of his wrist and set? Uh, and yeah, but in the comics, Peter Parker, Spider-Man built his own web shooters. Uh, I also a great like scene in No Way anything. Home. When they're yes, talking when they about all, how, yeah, how one, one of them can do that. it and the other, they're like, you can just do that? It's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I won. In your and face, you won. Brendan. Well Kelly. done. Well done. Hey, I did so much better than I thought I was going to do. <laughs> yeah, it was tight. Yeah. That was a tough one. And a lot of good guessing well. on my part there. Yeah. Well, that's Game Joey. What a fun game. This is the Shift Podcast. Uh, for a few more hours in parts of our country, it is still 420, better way, better known as Marijuana Day for whatever reason. And uh, I'm going to get into that question, why 420 is that day, why people celebrate cannabis, cannabis culture, and all things cannabis, uh, with our next guest. His name is Opie Sadu, and he is a cannabis policy expert here to help us understand all things cannabis. It's been four years since cannabis has been legalized in in Canada, and a lot has changed. A lot of things are continuing to change, uh, and I want to unpack all of that in the time that we have. But first, I want to start with this question for you, Opie. What even is a cannabis policy expert? <laughs> I guess it can be a, a couple different things. It all really depends on uh, uh, where you've worked and what your focus was. So I was with um, the, I was actually with the Public Health Agency of Canada for a few years. And uh, the focus that I was on was um, cannabis and its relation to public health in various situations. So whether that be with uh, marginalized groups or, um, you know, creating some types of um, unintended con- uh, public health consequences or, uh, or even, you know, how it would affect uh, you know, teens or or even um, uh, pregnant mothers and what have you, and how it affect uh, the the um, the infant and what have you. Uh, so yeah, it's it mainly from a public health perspective. But my background is um, in public policy. I have a master's in public policy, and um, uh, also I have a BA in economics. And um, basically, got into it from a, a data and policy side of things, and uh, saw the. Um, Saw the uh, some of the the research that was coming out about ten years ago, and um, and I originally really got into it because I was trying to help uh, help my dad uh, deal with uh, his colitis, which is uh, an inflammatory disease of of the of the large intestine. And so uh, I really started to start deep diving into some of the the research and the peer reviewed journal articles that were coming out. Uh, about 10 years ago, so a little bit before the legalization happened. So I kind of over the years have done various cost-benefit analysis. And back then, uh, what I kind of realized was that there was so much benefit um, uh, to the cannabis plant, and it was more uh, harm keeping it illegal than, uh, you know, leveraging it and, and making it accessible to people. So uh, that's kind of how I, I got into it. And then one thing led to another, and um, I, re- I really was uh, – uh, had done my homework and had an opportunity to interview with uh, Health Canada before they uh, legalized cannabis about two years before they legalized it. And uh, since I had the pal- policy background, I kind of knew what, um, uh, what some of the research had been done and, and what some of the focuses were, were with, uh, with the Canadian 
uh, version of legalization. So I, I kind of nailed some of those interviews out of the park and brought uh, uh, my knowledge with me and uh, kind of uh, was was the eyes and the ears of, of the public health agency for my for my region anyways. Um, um, in terms of public health and cannabis. So that was, yeah, a lot of, a lot of excitement and that one thing led to another and um, I've, I've consulted in the past as well, but uh, I kind of have my roots in that, that public uh, health perspective. Yeah, and that all sounds so cool. I love the idea of just kind of like, you know, you get into something and you kind of carve your own your own path. But obviously the the cannabis industry has grown tremendously i saw an article that uh i think it it's in one as canadian city i'm drawing a blank on it it's somewhere out east but there there are more uh cannabis dispensaries there than there are tim hortons, tim hortons. yeah yeah yeah, that was, that uh, that's, uh, yeah i did that was uh i, I believe that was uh winnipeg or, Man- or okay or manitoba yeah yeah sure and it's it's interesting. <laughs> so obviously the the industry is huge and a lot of that has uh, because of legalization and because I think the public is sort of waking up or becoming aware to this idea that there are tremendous benefits to cannabis use. And but I, st- I still feel like there is at least in in my sort of daily life. And, uh, you know, I, I use cannabis occasionally and I've, you know, been a, a proponent of CBD for people Absolutely. because I, I know about the, the benefits there and stuff. But I still feel like there is there is some uh, it's still sort of viewed as like an alternative medicine. You know, like right. it's not Absolutely. like you go to it's not like you go to Shoppers Drug Mart, you know, to get your CBD and stuff. Right. So yep. let me That's let me ask point. you this question first. What yep. what in your mind, like how how does cannabis use look now compared to prior to legalization? Because obviously we've we've progressed a lot. And then what like how much further do we have to go before it is considered acceptable or maybe in your mind we already are there. But speak to that a little bit. Yeah, that's a great question and a great comment as well. And uh, to be honest, um, what what's happened is that the 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 growth of the industry is kind of it's been hindered by uh, red tape and regulation. And wh- where the problem I feel really lies is is the ability of the recreational market to educate about their products. And and that's a multifaceted issue. And well, one of the reasons why they're not allowed to do that is obviously because of the regulation that's been put on them. So if you were to go into a cannabis store right now, uh, they couldn't really talk about the, the research that's happening, whether that's how uh, cannabis may or uh, may help, uh, you know, sl- as a sleep aid or how it may be a, a potent uh, anti-inflammatory. They actually can't use that medical jargon in the recreational stores uh, and therefore they can't really educate the consumer. So they really have to dance around uh, how they uh, market and educate uh, uh, the, their clients and, and they have to use very vague terms. So instead of saying that, you know, it's it can help, sleep or promote sleep they have to say you know it and it, it helps relaxation or or kind of um uh you know this is a in, instead of uh, uh you know using words like it, it's a powerful anti-inflammatory um they would have to use other words that weren't so uh, uh medical related however obviously on the medical side of things on on the uh, medical marijuana side of things they are allowed to use um, uh, the little bit more um, scientific jargon are allowed to uh, educate uh, obviously their patients more about the product. But I, where, where I feel that problem really lies is the fact that 
there hasn't been enough research at the uh, at the human trial level uh, with cannabis, and that again, that's a multifaceted issue too. And that's because of access hasn't been there um, federally in various jurisdictions, and only recently in Canada have we been allowed to uh, access cannabis uh, at the level of of you know being able to do really uh, controlled double blind human trials. And once once those studies come out, and that's when we can um, uh, definitively say that uh, this product does this. Uh, right now, there's a lot of claims that, uh, uh, there's a lot of good research that's coming out, but we don't have the human trials to prove it. So therefore they can't um, uh, say it uh, in some of the um, recreational or even, the, even in the medical um, uh, context. Uh, so, and, and going back to when legalization happened, there was a little bit of a symptom of, of the market. What happened was, a lot of investors came in and um, instead of putting money towards research and creating these human trials uh, so that they could get their research and make these bold claims, um, what happened instead that was there, there was basically a race to create the as much infrastructure and capacity to, to cultivate and produce the plant. And a lot of people, because uh, I was also helping investors um, before my time at Health Canada, and a lot of the people, uh, many of the investors, what they what they assumed was that since the market was so bullish at that time, they assumed whatever they could produce uh, that they could sell. And what I had advised a lot of um, my stakeholders that I was working with was that instead of you know uh, using that approach, they should actually look at uh, what uh, Colorado and Washington, how they had played out in terms of uh, what kind of sales had they generated and what we should expect relative to our population. Um, uh, so what happened was uh, that approach wasn't taken and instead there was kind of this race to you know, create as many um, uh, basically warehouses for for growing for cultivation as as uh, as they could, as a lot of these companies could. And then what happened was when legalization happened, that market demand wasn't there uh, as they assumed originally was going to be there. So there's a lot of over capacity in terms of the infrastructure produced. But to me, that was just a wasted opportunity in, in the sense that a lot of the, those facilities weren't used and still aren't being used. And a lot of money were, were pumped into them. Instead, that money should, could have gone to, to research to create these studies so that we could now have, you know, two, three, maybe five years of research to to basically start making these bold claims with some of these products. Yeah, because uh, so my what I have found is, you know, I you hear all these great things like CBD helps you, like you say, with inflammation. Uh, this, you know, I hear it anecdotally, right? I'm not making those claims <laughs> myself. I don't know what the legality <laughs> is there and stuff, but they say <laughs> it helps you with sleep. It helps you with anxiety, all of that stuff. And if you're not a person that wants to, you know, get high, but you want to sort of take it daily and stuff, there's all these benefits to it. So I went into a dispensary and started asking questions and it was very kind of conversational coffee shop type of atmosphere, which was super cool. But I found and other people have sort of shared similar experiences is that there's this well, this product is made by this manufacturer and they, you know, get, get the, get the, the cannabinoid out in this way using, you know, this, and basically you have all of these different products from all of these different brands and they vary. So, you know, like just because you had a bad experience or CBD that didn't work, there's no sort of standard for how much is in there and how much each person should take. And as a result, 
it almost feels like as a user, you're doing the, this kind of trial and error yourself. You know, you have a bad That's experience right. on something and that, do you think that that puts people off? I mean, uh, or. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is with CBD, uh, you don't really see the effects, uh, some of the effects right away. Uh, a lot of the research says that you have to build up that, um, that uh, basically like the, the levels of CBD in your system before you see some of the, the positive results. And sometimes that can take up to, to two weeks. So I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding. And then at the end of the day, the bud tender, even if they knew that they can't really talk about that because now they're crossing into that medical spect side of the spectrum and they're not, they're not allowed to, to be on that side. So they have to, again, that's where they have to really prance around how they educate people because they can't really delve into that information. Uh, it's, it's way too medical, uh, especially, right. but, but then again, also, um, with the CBD, the, a lot of the research, um, it, it also depends on the dosage, the dosage of the CBD. So the research, if you really look at the fine print, some of these dosages are really, really high. And that 10 milligram uh, CBD gummy probably isn't as nearly as high of the dosage as they are using as in some of these studies. And then you also have to really be pay attention to the means and the modes of how they um, used or applied uh, the CBD, because I've read studies where they say like CBD is really good for, for clenching. But what people don't really realize is that it's, it's, it's how it's topically applied rather than uh, eaten and then um, uh, then and, and internally uh, uh, used up. So it's uh, it's there's a lot of these fine caveats of how CBD can be beneficial, but if you're depending on the bud tender to educate you on that, they simply can't. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny because people talk about it all the time. Like, oh, I tried this and mm -hmm. it really worked for me. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for someone else. But I have found okay. that you, when you find that right product, it it really has has helped me. And you know, to your point, I've, I've heard you like looked into it for. I think you were mentioning your father. I, like, I heard about a podcast where. Uh, the gentleman that was being interviewed, he he would give CBD pills to his grandparents, but he wouldn't tell them that it was marijuana because <laughs> or cannabis because if they if they knew sure, that a lot of us thought about that, <laughs> right? But like they were getting the benefits, and it's funny because right. it's like if they would just be open to the idea of trying something, but they're not because for so long there's been this idea of like That's oh stigma. it's it's a narcotic and you can't you know when in okay. reality it's. So it, like it's I've always viewed it as like it's a plant. It grows. It can be it's so natural. And, and not only that, it's 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 the part of that stigma is what these people have been kind of taught and and in a little bit of way brainwashed is that there's a stereotypical version of cannabis. And what I would refer to that is that, you know, your typical hard hitting indica that's just gonna put you into the couch. But what people don't realize is that there's this huge spectrum and it's not, that's the stereotypical version of what people assume cannabis is going to be like, but it's actually a huge spectrum of different outcomes that can happen, whether that be psychoactive or non-psychoactive. And that's the way that we need to start educating people and the way that people need to start approaching it. And, and if they do that, uh, they're, they're opening themselves up to a lot more possibilities rather than just, you know, assuming that they're going to have this one very stereotypical outcome. And that I think that's your Cheech and Chong, you know, right. getting, getting blazed on the couch and yeah. just drifting 
in a way. <laughs> and, and nothing wrong with that. And that is you no, know, like one of one of the, the fun and, and great thing. I mean, like we all, you know, alcohol is accepted and we all like to, you know, have a few drinks and have a good time. And all of that is wonderful. But OK, so before we go any further, I wanted to clear this up because maybe you can you can clear that. Like we're talking because Absolutely. today is 420, which is kind of like <laughs> the smoker's holiday. Yep. Where, do, where where does that come from? What is the, the I, so there's a, being? A, I think there's yeah. a couple of different theories out there, but the one that I always hear that comes up is that it was just um, uh, I think it was uh, a group of individuals I, I think in California that used to get together at um, at four twenty right after work, and it kind of just turned into this ritualistic uh, meeting and then kind of got ingrained and. In, in, hippie and, and cannabis culture i've heard a couple other theories as well um, but that's the one that kind of keeps on coming up over and over okay. again so i think i'm gonna stick to that one yeah that's good like i had heard that it was the police code for marijuana at one time i don't i don't right. i don't know if that's I haven't true heard that or one. not but oh yeah, i haven't heard that really one. oh that's, <laughs> yeah, that's see that that's so funny when i was in high school that was what everybody said was uh, that oh, is that's what it was and you know to me that feels i'm like eh, i don't know if that feels very authentic or very real <laughs> But okay, so let's talk about this. Uh, traditionally, people think marijuana or cannabis is smoke it. Uh, right. We know that edibles are a thing now. And we're see even seeing mm -hmm. products like uh, CBD infused water, teas, chocolate bars. Have you seen the beer by any chance? Okay, there's another one. I haven't seen it's the amazing. beer. amazing. So, I highly recommend it. Okay, so tell me about highly. that. Tell me about, <laughs> like, is it different? Like, do you get a different effect if you smoke uh, it, if you eat it, if you drink it? Like, so that's an interesting it thing. It feels so, like it's being put in everything now. Yeah, yeah. And so out of all the beverages, uh, the, the cannabis, or sorry, the THC and the CBD infused beer has so far been my favorite. And they have a couple of different options that I've seen so far. Um, they have your lager that's made by uh, Molson, and they call it the Molo. Okay. And it has, it has two different versions. It has one that's uh, five milligrams of CBD and five milligrams of THC. And then they have like a little bit higher potency one. I think it's um, an eight milligram THC and two milligram of CBD. And there's a couple of other companies that have come out recently. And I, I believe there's an IPA and even like a, like a shock top whole garden type of version. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, uh, yeah, citrus. I haven't had that one, but I'm that one's definitely on my list because I'm a big fan of uh, Whole Garden. But uh, uh, but yeah, it's interesting because um, you know it's it's a good moderate dose, especially that when it's got five milligrams of CBD with five milligrams of THC. The CBD kind of balances out the the THC, and it's not really a a, a very high dose to begin with. Uh, but what's interesting about that is, and this is something that people don't really understand and it's it's uh uh it's an interesting caveat and this, maybe this is why the cannabis is beer is a little bit better than the rest of the other beverages is that uh, a lot of people don't realize that beer actually has this one component in it uh called myrcene which is a terpene also uh, which is a, basically an essential oil that's found in uh not only beer but also cannabis and okay. uh, also and also mangoes and it's really and, and it, what it does is it actually synergizes with THC and makes it more bioavailable. And the old joke and the old hippie trick back in the day was that uh, if you didn't have very good strong cannabis, you'd eat a mango or have a beer before you'd have a joint. And that way, it, it, it I guess you know it hit a little bit harder because of the bioavailability. Uh, so that's that's a, another interesting caveat 
of of you know those uh, infused beers is that you might get a little bit more of a kick out of them compared to like, the, the cola. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So what do you think? You know, because like we said, we're seeing it. It's being marketed everywhere in in, in drinks, like in right. uh, medicinal area, like spa treatments, everything. What do right. you think is next? What's the future? Oh, for cannabis we haven't use? even seen we haven't even seen anything yet because what they're really working on is uh, that the medicine that they're working on right now is going to be really interesting because what happens with CBD is that it's actually it doesn't do too well in the stomach. So it, it kind of erodes in your stomach before it gets into your intestines and absorbed. But what they're going to do is they're going to start creating micro capsules so that basically the, the molecules of the THC or in the CBD are going to be encapsulated and those are going to be put in capsules. So you'll have a way higher absorption rate. So what they're going to, what you're going to eventually start seeing is, is uh, medicine starting to merge their techniques with, uh, you know, incorporating uh, cannabis like THC, CBD into them, whether that be, you know, um, uh, capsules or, or intravenous or even uh, like implants. Um, and the other big thing is something that uh, I think a lot of people should pay attention to is uh, Colgate uh, just filed a patent for, uh, for creating toothpaste that has CBD and uh, a different cannabinoid called CBG in it. And I talked about this on the podcast a little while ago, and those are very highly uh, antibacterial antibiotic cannabinoids. And, uh, and, and they've done some good studies on that, uh, but not at the human level, but they've done a lot of in vitro and in vivo uh, and uh, with some really promising results. And, and Colgate's taken that research now and created their own formulas that have they're, they're versions of toothpaste, but with CBD and CBG infused into them. So I thought uh, it's just interesting. incredible, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, we've got, oh, yeah. we've got cannabis and toothpaste working together. <laughs> and I mean, I, like well, to, to me, oh, I'm excited. It's just because, hilarious. Like if, if there's a way that I can be healthier, I, I want yep. it, I want it to be. And like, we know that uh, it, it's better for the planet, right? To like grow right, and like right. that we haven't even talked about all of the benefits that you can get, like what we could use hemp for that we're not using it. That's I mean, right. The That's conversation right. is is long and diverse, but <laughs> let's do this because we're we're getting a little tight for time. But let me ask you yep. this: If there are people out there who, because like we talked about at the beginning, there's still mm. kind of this idea of like, well, sure, I'll have a few drinks, but and maybe even especially right. amongst some older generations, but I I I don't do marijuana. It was just considered like a narcotic for so long, and even mm. though it's legal now, mm. they're just still not there. Let's say that there's some people who are like thinking about trying cannabis for the first time, where's a right. good place to start? Uh, that, that's a good question. I would say I mean, if you've never, you know, uh, used any other types of combustion, whether, you know, whatever that may be, um, you probably want to stay away from the joints. Um, what you probably want to start with is something that's low THC and high CBD, probably in the edible or the beverage uh, format. However, if you've never had THC before, I would almost start with zero THC and only CBD. Uh, therefore, you're you're uh, avoiding the the chance of uh, you know having a little bit too psychoactive in an experience. But what the uh, what the medical experts say is that you with if you're a new user, uh, the saying the mantra is uh, start low and go slow. So meaning start at a low dosage of THC and slowly work your way up. And at each experience, 
maybe try a little bit more, but basically your very first experience, you should have virtually no THC uh, in that product and then slowly start uh, what they say is uh, titrating your way up, gradually increasing that THC amount. Awesome. Well, Opie <laughs> Sadu has been my guest, man. I really appreciate it. Like I said, we could, we could talk Great for hours hear. about all this stuff and I hope that we get the chance to, to do this more because it's very interesting and I'm Absolutely. excited. I'm excited for the future and to hear more about the benefits and uh, it's very cool work that you do. Opie Sidhu, he is a Thank marijuana you. policy expert. Thanks for sharing some time with us and happy 420. Happy 420 and great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. This is The Shift Podcast. We had a really interesting conversation with Gerald Shadell. He's a doctor at the Salk Institute. And one of the things that they're working on there is aging. They're working on curing. The Salk Institute does all sorts of uh, fancy research on making the world a better place and human genetics and biology and all that type of stuff. And one of the things that they're talking about doing there is coming up with, and I use this term loosely, a cure for aging. They've talked about that before. This has been in the headlines a lot recently. And it was a really great interview. What they talked about was not like, hey, you're going to live forever. You're going to live to be like 150. But it's much more, hey, you're going to live to like 80 or 90 like we do now. But it's not going to be like sitting in a chair and doing nothing. It's going to be like living, like actually living, like being able to walk and swim and run and just having an insanely good quality of life right up until the end, which I think is something that we can all get behind. Uh, But there is like lots of talk around this idea of aging right now. Maybe you've heard this, that people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are investing heavily into anti-aging research. And it all just sort of feels very, um, I don't know, super villainy that there's these guys who uh, want to uh, extend life and, and age and keep their vitality. And it's like this thing that is only accessible to, to rich people and to billionaires, it sometimes feels like. And for all of that reason, I was very taken with an article that I came across by a Canadian doctor of geriatric medicine, and uh, she joins us on the line now. I'm very excited to talk to Dr. Paula Rochon. She is a senior scientist at the Women's College Research Institute and also a professor at the Department of Medicine and Institute of Health Policy at the University of of Toronto. Excuse me. And Dr. Rochon, you wrote this article and just the headline really grabbed me. Start walking and age well. Yeah, so um, I think that's really important. I mean, I think what you've talked about is, you know, is there some magic bullet or some pill or something like that that you can take that will help you age well? And maybe, but I'm not sure what it is. Right. But I think, I think there's a lot of things we can do right now that are good for our health. And some of them are really, really simple things that everyone can engage in. Yeah. And you mentioned this in this article, start walking and age well. And I want to hear about this trail that you walked, but it's so interesting because it's one of these things that like everybody does it. You know, we learn to do it when we're a year old and we almost just take it for granted as it's just this thing that's part of our daily life. You know, I I have to walk from the kitchen to the bedroom and walk around at the office and at the mall and all of these type of things. And I think so many of us do it and find that it, or at least we feel like it doesn't affect our health, but 
I think we need to rethink that. Is that right? That, that we need to take walking more seriously when it comes to being a good thing. I think, I think you absolutely should. I mean, you're right. We, we do take walking for granted. It's something we all do, but it's also can be something really exciting and something that's fun. Um, that if you talk to people, I think everyone will have some sort of a walking story. So one of the things I talk about in, in the article you mentioned is a trip that we did in, in Scotland where we actually walked pretty well 100 miles, which is pretty far, you know, when you start off and you realize you're going to go from one from the start all the way to the end. But when you're doing something like that, walking, you're outdoors, you know, you're seeing nature, you're just seeing things around you, you're experiencing the world in a whole different way. You know, so it's not only good for your physical health, you know, when you're out there and being active, it's also really good for your mental health because, you know, you can't help but bump into other people, for example, on the trails or in a trail like that where you're on it for multiple days, you'll keep seeing the same people. They pass you, you pass them. And so there's lots of chance for interaction. So it's good not only for your physical health, but I think also for your mental health. Yeah, it's fabulous. Absolutely. And I'm a a huge advocate for the conversation around mental health. And I I love that in the article, you, you, you talk about that because I think it's such an important thing. And in many people's perspective, uh, it's viewed as this incredible mountain that's really hard to tackle and therapy and medication. and, And I'm not, I'm in favor of all of those things as well, but just starting with something that is so simple and so basic to us. The idea that there's so much power there that you can sort of take ownership of your own health and your own mental health in, in just walking. Uh, and I, I definitely want to come back to that, especially the point, like you noted in the article that loneliness is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I was shocked by that. Well, I think it's something people don't really put together. You know, people think loneliness isn't a good thing, but they don't necessarily relate it to what it does for, for your health. And, and you think about, uh, I, as a geriatrician, you know, with the, the group and a researcher, the people that I in particular study are women. And loneliness is something that is particularly important for women. You know, women tend to live longer than men. They may outlive a spouse. They're more likely to be living alone. And of those women that live alone, a large percentage of them, about 40% say that they're lonely. And then as you say, it also impacts their health. So one of the things that I've noticed too, when you're talking about walking and there's many other ways to address this, but when you're out walking, you know, just even just in your own community, you see people, you meet people, people stop and talk to you. You know, it's a way to engage with people and it really does help, I think with the ability to make connections and helps with loneliness. And it also helps because, you know, you can go with a friend, you know, bring somebody and go out for a walk. Or I've heard people tell me stories about, you know, moving into new communities and not knowing how to meet people or engage. And they've gone on Facebook and found that there's a walking group in their area and they've been able to connect that way and make friends, you know as well as having physical activity. So yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah, it's it's really cool stuff. One of the things that I found really interesting, uh, my aunt, actually, she lives in Toronto and uh, I, I didn't even realize this was a thing, but she has a, a YouTube channel that's just walking. And I was, I, I was sort of surprised by that. But then I discovered that this exists in every city and <laughs> multiple versions with thousands of people who are just, 
you know, wanting to take part in exactly what you're describing of just getting out in the community. It doesn't have to be this, you know, like this, like the story from wild where the woman walks, you know, I'm sure you've heard that reference, you know, she yes. walks all the way across America or whatever, but it, it's just sort of around town. And, and my aunt, she runs into all sorts of people. Some days she's solo. Some days she's not, she ends up having some days she has conversations, some days she doesn't, but it's just exploring. And it's, it's actually very calming and, and a sort of a very cool thing. And I can see why people get it, but I, I want to get to the walk that you did. So tell me what, what was the genesis of this? What was the, the driving force or what kicked off this idea of, Hey, I'm going to go do this trail in Scotland. It's a hundred miles long. Well, I really like walking. I've done it in a variety of different places. And I heard about this place, the West Highland way. So it's um, it's, a, it's gorgeous. You know, you can imagine Scotland kind of green, a bit chilly, you know, sort of hills, not not too big, but actually some pretty big hills up out there, I would say. And there's this path, which is so beautiful because it starts in one city just north of Glasgow and goes all the way up to North uh, to Fort William. So it's a path that's sort of continuous. And along the way, you can stay at various different uh, sort of bed and breakfast and hotel type things. So it's very well set up to accommodate walkers. And as a result, literally, there's hundreds of walkers starting on this trail every day. So you're definitely not alone on this trail. Um, but it's interesting, you know, I don't know, even though I knew I was going on the walk and we were sort of preparing for the walk, didn't really clue to me that, you know, we were starting here and we were going to walk all the way until we got to the other end. And that's where we kind of, you know, got picked up. Um, so it was, it, was a, it was quite an undertaking. And as, as you can imagine in Scotland, it can be a little damp and, and, you know, the weather can be a bit off, but it was actually around this time of the year and we had spectacular weather. So, you know, barely rained, wasn't too warm, but wasn't too cold. So it was great for walking. And you would just go through, you know, started off in some sort of flat kind of terrain, um, you know, with these sort of nice kind of paths and flowers and things in the background, lots of sheep, uh, and then you got into some hilly territories. There was a lot of uphill. It was not just flat. And you went along the beautiful locks, which are gorgeous, you know, just to see along the water, the shore. Right. Uh, so it's just, it's just a wonderful experience. And bumped into people literally from all around the world who would be coming to do this walk. You know, some local people who just walk on a regular basis, but also people like us who had, you know, gone over to do the walk. You know, so it's it's really um, it's a beautiful experience. So I I am just because it's kind of my only sort of uh, touching point on something like this. I am picturing something like out of that Reese Witherspoon movie Wild. So are you camping? Do you carry your own gear and stuff? Well, you could, and a number of people on that path actually do that. They do camp, and there are campsites, and they do carry their own gear. I must say, I didn't do that at all. I mean, I like the idea of um, having a small backpack, and so. We had different um, hotels arranged for us on, on the way and bags were sort of brought. So we oh, just great. had to carry enough for the day. Um, and, you know, you have to be equipped. I mean, you need to wear hiking boots. And uh, I really got into using poles. I don't know if you've experienced using those. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Uh, you know, some people think it's a bit weird, but it gets addicting. And so, you know, you'd have those poles to sort of help you kind of keep a rhythm as you as you went along. Uh, and you'd have to plan to be out for the day, right? So you'd, you'd, you needed to have enough in your pack, you know, for cold weather, rain or whatever, and something to drink and, and eat along the way, because there was, there was going to be nothing, really. 
Um, but then you could you could stop at night. But I, as I say, I did see people carrying quite heavy packs, which adds a whole other dimension to that trip and staying at, at campsites. So you could do that as well. But uh, I think I like the way that we sure. do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's that exists in various facets of tourism, cycling and hiking. And there are people that prefer to quote unquote rough it and people who prefer to do it a, a little more uh, asleep on a comfy mattress instead of the yes. cold, hard ground. And I would put myself in the ladder as well there. So we talked about how there are these beautiful walks and stuff, uh, but that it doesn't necessarily need to be that to get some of these benefits we talked about. So I want to ask you about this because you are a geriatrician and please correct me if I'm, that's a doctor who specializes in people who are elderly, correct? Yes. So a geriatrician is a medical doctor and I do specialize in caring for older people. Okay. Um, and as you have sort of um, as we sort of said, the most or the majority of older people are, are women, and that's the particular area that I focus on. So, so you know, you kind of mentioned that not everyone's going to be going off to Scotland to walk or to do kind of different kinds of activities. But there's certainly, you know, you just have to open your door. Uh, you know, you can go for walks in your neighborhood. And I think, you know, one of the things about walking, even in your own neighborhood, is you start to notice things. You notice you know, different houses and you notice sort of renovations people are doing and you bump into people on the street. You know, I know just sort of walking in my own neighborhood, I bump into a woman who walks every single day and she carries dog treats. So when I've got my dog with her with me, you know, she's ready to to share a treat with with uh, with my dog. Uh, you know, it's just really lovely to be able to do an activity like this where you can do it right from your door and it doesn't have to be costly. I mean, basically you need, you know, a pair of runners and if you want, you can bring poles, not really necessary in the city, but you know, pretty straightforward gear. Great. Yeah. And I, I guess what I, so I think about my parents who are, who are aging and I want to uh, encourage them to be more active and to take something like this up. Do you find that Sometimes people are resistant to this, maybe either because a, well, I, I already get it. I walk around all the time. I've been always walking in my house and I'm walking at work and stuff. Is there resistance there? Or do you find that sometimes people are even maybe skeptical about the benefits of, of just what, because it's just that, like we talked about off the top, it, we perceive it as just this, this thing that's a, a necessary part of life. Well, I think sometimes people just don't really think about it or think about how they can included in their lifestyle, so to speak. So for example, you know, maybe it's hard just to sort of, you know, go out for a walk right now, as an example, you have to kind of get organized and, and go. But what, one thing I really liked was, for example, when I was at the end of the day coming home from work, you know, stressful at work, right? Lots of things are happening. It's busy. You need to kind of unwind. And if you, I would make a point um, that, okay, at the end of the day, I'm going to walk home. So I, I can walk home. It's not that far. But you made a point of rather than driving or taking a cab or doing something like that, you're going to walk. So you have to get home anyway. It's part of that routine. And you kind of build it in. And if you can think of ways to build it into your daily activity, it kind of helps clear your head. Plus, you get the activity. And it's good for the environment. You're not driving, you know. So it's, it's really nice if you can find ways to fit it into your kind of lifestyle. You know, instead of driving somewhere, you're going to walk. If you need to go pick up something at the store, maybe you can walk there rather than drive. And I like the idea of uh, at the end of the day being able to, to just walk home. 
Sure. I also I really like the idea of taking something that is sort of seen as a as a necessity to life and sort of redeeming it and and using it for personal enjoyment instead. You know, like driving is one. I mean, I agree with you on getting out of cars, but I'm a car enthusiast. And so you spend so much time in a car and traffic and it's stressful, you know, but then when you get out on an open road on the weekend, you know, on a beautiful sunny day, it's a completely different experience. And the idea of doing the same with walking and with exercise in general, I just, I love that, you know, it's almost like taking the power back in those situations. So can you give us like maybe just some sort of bullet points or, or a, a, a more sort of digestible benefit. Like if, so, so say we decide to start walking two kilometers a day and, and sort of work our way up from there. When will we start seeing benefits? What are the sort of immediate benefits that we'll start seeing from something like that? Well, I think one of the messages is it's not all or none, you know, like doing something is good. Doing something is better than not doing it at all. Right. And you don't have to do sort of huge amounts. So like people often talk about something like 10,000 steps. And, you know, I talk about this a little bit, but that can be a lot for people or can be kind of intimidating. Like, you know, you hear people say, did I get to my 10,000 steps or not? And I hear that all the time. It, it takes a bit of effort, right? But, but one of the things that I, you know, want to make people aware of is you don't have to go and do the 10,000 steps, like doing a couple of thousand steps is good, you know, so just do what you can do. And, you know, that can be really quite beneficial. So how is it beneficial? You know, when you're out there and being active, it's, it's definitely good for you. You know, it's good from a weight perspective, you know, you stay trimmer, it's good from a sort of like they talk about a cardiovascular perspective, it's good for your heart to do that sort of thing. It's good for um, your joints you know, when you're doing sort of activity that's like running and pounding and things, not so good, I would say, for things like your knees, but things like walking, you know, isn't, uh, doesn't have that kind of uh, stress associated with it. So it's, it's good in terms of, uh, you know, uh, helping you maintain your, your function. And when you're, it makes you stronger. And that's also helpful, especially as people get older, you know, because it protects you against things like falls. So, you know, this something that seems so simple, and as you say, something that's part of your life, if you just do what's comfortable for you, and do, you know, a little bit more, but not thinking that you have to do sort of huge amounts every day, it just has this incremental uh, benefit to your health. And I honestly do think it it's good for your mental health, you know, you're outside, you're near, you're, you're in the fresh air, you're smelling the flowers, you're seeing things that Honestly, you don't see if you're driving and appreciating things in a whole different way. And so Certainly. you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> you feel good. That can't be bad. Yeah. Now, did you see um, a spike in, in this type of uh, activity and, and some of the research that you do and stuff because of the pandemic? Well, I think that's interesting. For example, um, you know, certainly during the pandemic, people didn't want to be on public transit as an example. Right. And they were trying to find different ways to get around. And walking was one way that you could do that, right? It, you know, you could walk as opposed to, to having to be in sort of these public kind of scenarios. But uh, another piece that I found particularly helpful was, especially when people, you know, couldn't have people in their homes. And, you know, we're still experiencing um, the pandemic, right? It hasn't yep. gone away. But when you're outdoors, it's a much safer environment. And so you can meet with your friends and say, hey, let's go for a walk or let's sit outside. 
Um, and so it's been very helpful during the pandemic as a way that people get together and socialize uh, in, a, in a way that they hadn't really thought of it, I don't think, uh, before. So yeah, it's, a, it's been a great uh, activity to do in the pandemic that um, allows people to socialize in a way that's much safer. Very cool. Dr. Paula Roshan, start walking and age well. It's fantastic advice. And it honestly, like, I don't want to come across as like, I'm excited. I'm excited to like go for a walk and to encourage people in my life to go for a walk and just take it in and enjoy the world and get some of those benefits. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate having you. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 